0: Now, those of you who know that uh, we went on vacation um, know to expect a vacation illustration, so I'm going to get that out of the way first. (laughs) The Bible story that we're looking at from Genesis 12 mentions a town named Haran. Now, Haran was built in the latter part of what we refer to the third millennium B.C., But what's important from my vacation is they were building stone roundhouses on Shetland Island before this town is what now modern Turkey or would have been part of Assyria at one point before it was built. So when we think about the age of Bible stories, we live in an area of the world where people came and lived and built and had their families for as long as the story's in the Bible. I mean, think about that. We think about Shetland and Scottish history um, because one of the things about, you know, when you talk to the people in Shetland, they think of themselves as Shetlanders. I mean, they would say, after all, we have our own flag. It's the Norwegian cross, on the blue background. It's a place that was built out of driftwood. Imagine all of the wood for your houses, and I told them outside that one of the places we went, one of the rafters that holds up the roof is an abandoned ore. You can, you can see it. Some guy found that on the beach, probably says, hey, I can use that. So when we think about Heron where uh, Abram was with his, and I refer to it as a clan, because we believe there were about a thousand people were with him, because after all, when you get to chapter 14, he is able to put what are described as over 300 trained men for war. So he's like a clan chief that's got this private army who works for him. And the clan system would have been very much like something that would have been recognized 100 years or so ago in Scotland where you had that loyalty to the chief. But when we look at Genesis 12, the Lord calls us to go follow him as we live out the global grand story as blessed people. We're introduced to Abram and his heritage going back to Noah in chapter 11. It's also interesting and important to recognize that you have the introduction of Sarai who will become Sarah. That you have a story of the women who are involved in the line of redemption from the very beginning. Which culturally would have been very unusual. But yet we see that, that here he is. He's now the leader of this large family organization. And it is the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R-D. Now remember who's writing this story. It's Moses. Moses. Moses is writing a story about this historical event to get the people of Israel ready to leave Egypt. He wants to give them an identity. He wants them to understand God's blessing has been with them over the generations, even though they are slaves. So when we look at this passage and we think about people who live in poverty, people who live on the edges, and they can see that God cares about them because he promises to bless them. But yet he tells Abram to go from your country. He has to go to follow. He has to go to follow where God is going to lead him to make him into a great nation, moving from a clan through the tribes of his grandson into a nation, a great nation. And that has implications that we'll see as we unfold what is being started here in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 and in other passages. Now, because of how this three verse ends, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. One of the things that we cannot miss is the parallel, because this is the foundation for what becomes known as the Great Commission in the end of Matthew, in Matthew 28, go into all the world. That idea of going to take God's blessing, to share God's blessing, has its roots in the promises that are made here in chapter 12. See, I think if we just isolate Matthew 28, the the latter verses... What became, and we have to remember that it only became the Great Commission in the nineteenth century. Before that, there is no message, there is no mention of that passage being called the Great Commission. But what I want you to see, what I want us to understand, is God has been telling his people to go share a blessing from the very beginning. This global outreach of being willing to go. Now here God is going to have them travel and he is going to provide for them. But they had left Ur earlier. Ur was a Sumerian city-state on the Euphrates River almost down to the Persian Gulf. When I was deployed to Iraq and living near a lot of these places, i I studied what was like what was the people and the cities and the commerce and all of that like when Abraham lived there in what we think of as today modern Iraq in this river culture. They had developed math so they could do accounting because they traded, so they had all this Accounting that we'll look at more. I'm just kind of giving you a tease next week. Because what he says on account of faith, that is a parallel in terms of moving value from one place to another. We'll look at that more next week. But he pulls him out of this one area, and he basically is turning him into a stranger. This group of people are becoming strangers because they moved from one place where they had their family roots and family businesses to this other place where they developed their family roots and their family business. And God says, now I want you to move. It's interesting that when Stephen was being stoned to death, This is where he starts his testimony. And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. See, he's reminding how deep the story and the movement of the family goes. Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house. It represents both security and identity. In today's world, people look for security and identity. Those are very common issues for people to be concerned about. Whether you're an old person, thinking about retirement, thinking about how people look at you as an old person, whether you're a 30-something or a 20-something or a teenager, or as we're getting ready in our family to have a tween, People think about these things. Who am I? How do other people see me? And the idea of security, of being able to go out there, and we've seen so many people leave everything in the last five or ten years and become migrants. They come with their shopping bags or with their backpacks or with their suitcases, with their diaper bags. They leave that security, they leave that identity to come and try to find a new life. That's what Abraham, Abram, who becomes Abraham, and his family are doing here. God is saying, I want you to go. I want you to trust me. Think about that. Packing up your family to go to a new place. It's interesting that in the world of fantasy literature you get stories like that. I mean, that's what the whole television show, Lost in Space, is about. It's about this family that's leaving a earth that's going to come apart to go to another world, and they're going to have a better life. And guess what? It's a story. In a story, something always goes wrong. And so that's where the real story comes about. You can think about people who have left Scotland to go find a new life all around the world. You think about the Irish who moved here to find a new life and to find jobs. You think about the Poles who have moved here, who were the second largest ethnic group in Scotland. You think about people moving around. When we think about our spiritual history and story, we worship a God who often tells people to go to leave the security, to leave the identity, so that their security and their identity are in the God who has called him to follow. But you see, following the Lord involves sacrifice in all of life based upon his revelation as a response to his grace. Does God say, Abram, this is why I chose you? You're the best shepherd out there. Oh, you're the best trader. You're the best weaver. Doesn't say anything like that. The fact that he could trace his family all the way back to the flood. It's there, but it's not the reason. God's reason of selecting him and telling him to go is purely of grace. Because Abraham and his failings are going to be recorded as much as Abraham and his success. It's grace. It's a gift. It's not earned. Now, in following God, family is a complicated issue that is addressed in Scripture. In Matthew 12, Jesus is ministering to people and his family's outside because they think he's crazy. What's this guy doing? And his response, when he says that they're out there, he he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? For the families outside. And then it goes on to say, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. See, he's not dishonoring his family, but he's saying that I have a larger family. Those that I share a spiritual identity with, a spiritual commitment with. That's what would bind the clan that becomes the tribes, that becomes the nation together. And then when someone is asking him because they have left family and security to follow Jesus, he says, listen to this in Matthew 19, and everyone who has left houses and brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Did you hear all the relationships? For my sake, Jesus See, it's not because you're mad at your family. It's not because you think that they don't know anything about you or you don't trust them or they've hurt you. But it's for Christ's sake. It's for that identity with Christ that we, we leave family, but yet we see family in a different way. Because we know biblically that we have a responsibility to the family to care for family members in our family first something Acts makes very clear. That if there are widows in the church, the family has the first responsibility, not the church. And the church needs to make and help the family understand you have responsibility to that older person. Now, I'm going to... Reread the passage that we read for the assurance of pardon because I think it is so condensed and then I'm also going to read an extra verse but in Galatians 3, 7 says know then that those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture said foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham in saying in you shall all the nations be blessed Now I want to stop right there. Do you hear he's calling part of the passage we're looking at in Genesis 12? The gospel is being preached. It's being preached not only to Abram and his generation, but it's being preached to Moses and his generation that will read this story. That what God is doing in this passage, God himself, through the Apostle Paul, identifies as the gospel, as the good news. You see, we have to be very careful that we don't say, oh, there's the Old Testament stories and there's the New Testament. There is a link. Now, ultimately, what we're going to see as we work through it is that that link is both the, is, is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that Christ is there, that the Holy Spirit is there, that the Father is there. The same God is working through this. And as he's made these promises and these pronouncements, in Genesis 12, Paul looks all the way back after Christ and said that foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith... Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, in verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, Abraham the man of faith. So that in Christ, and I love this verse, verse 14, so that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham, because remember, what is this passage about, Genesis 12? It's about being blessed and passing it on. So, in verse 14 of Galatians 3, it says, So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Do you hear everything is packed in there in the idea of being blessed? Because it ties in with being blessed. If you are blessed by God, what do you do? You receive the Holy Spirit. See, that's all packed into Genesis 12, and God unpacks it, reveals more of it as time goes along. But this promise of blessing in this passage is something that we need to to hang on to and let it saturate our minds, because when I think about the five sermons on the benedictions which basically we're getting us ready to hear this pronouncement that God is going to bless Abraham and through him this passage tells us we get Christ, we get the holy spirit. We are heirs to the promise. Do you hear the security and the identity that God is giving to his children? Then in the midst of wherever they are, because it's a global message, it's not just one geographical area, it's a global message wherever they are, they can be heirs of promise. They're not alone. They're not forgotten. Now when we think about family, I want this is my last point of the this sub point. Because sometimes in sermons you have, you know, you you, you build your outline and it all looks nice and even. And then when you get into it, you realize, I'm going to say more here and more here than I am here and there. But that's okay. In Genesis 12, it says, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Do you see the two things that were happening in that altar? You see, what's happening with Abraham and his son and grandson is that you are getting pre-Aaron family worship. That then post-cross is what we have. See, he was able to be with God. What was one of the things that was lost in the garden? It was the ability to be with God because of the fall. He was pushed out, he was put out. You have this flaming angel with a flaming sword. was there God was there to make sure Abram and he did it again you know it wasn't a one time thing and, and I think that's one of the things that in my growing up there was this emphasis on this one time event when you raise your hand or you walk down the aisle, and I'm not saying people shouldn't do that but what I see in the Bible and what I've experienced is our relationship with God continues to grow it's not a one time event because when you think about the new birth, it's for a lifetime of events. And so here the two things that are celebrate is he appeared, he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. He prayed. See, our prayer time, and that's why I want us to have a special prayer time this Wednesday night, because that's a privilege. Where he was moving around and following God, he could set up an altar and he and his family could pray, call upon the name of the Lord. Now, the other things that God calls us to sacrifice are wealth. Um, he was a wealthy man, and who in the story becomes more wealthy. And then the vulnerability to be able to be a stranger. To be an outsider. Someone who in his own lifetime would have to negotiate and trade to find a place, because he didn't have a place, to bury his beloved Sarah. That willingness to become vulnerable. Some of you know that in China, the central government, the communist government, the authorities are cracking down on house churches. They're identifying them, they're putting them in their past, into prison, and pastors are saying, we will die. We may have a new generation of Chinese martyrs for Christ. See, we're not used to thinking about large numbers of martyrs. Now, in Scottish history, yes, we have martyrs. Somehow we think that's history. People being willing to stand up for Jesus Christ publicly even though it may mean their life. Abram was willing to become a stranger, to become vulnerable, to give up the security, to follow the Lord. The fundamental thing is the Lord blesses his followers by grace. I will bless you, make your name great. In the end, I will bless those who bless you And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. A blessing is always done by a sovereign, someone more powerful, someone with the ability to do that. And the first thing we think about God blessing us is that he makes us holy. Now, we'll learn about how he makes us holy through the shed blood of Christ, through sacrifices, things like that. But that is part of the covenant and part of God's promises in grace he makes us holy <clears throat> he can bestow his favor he can bless communities and families but when we think about being blessed It restores the intimacy with God because of his grace. It restores our ability to stand in his holy presence because of his grace, because of his sacrifices. One of the things about blessing that we need to remember is that blessing is not something that started after the fall. That in creation, in the creation of the birds and the Fish. God blessed them and said, multiply. When God creates Adam, in Genesis 1.28, we have what has become known as the cultural mandate. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds, of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. That God creates and God blesses. And then there's that special blessing of the seventh day in Genesis 2. But then we have looked at it, so I'm obviously I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but I do want to mention it because it is a formal definition and example of what is being talked about here and written about here in Genesis 12. Aaron's blessing in Leviticus 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his countenance shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance to you and grant you peace. His presence, his peace, are part of that blessing. Now, to the last part. The Lord's followers bless others, going to all the families of the earth, you see, one of the things when we look at this passage, when we look at other passages in the Bible, when God blesses us, it's not for us just to build a fence and a wall and a castle around and say, oh, I got this blessing. No, we are to share it. We are to be willing to be vulnerable. We are willing to be a, a servant and a stranger to pass on that blessing. Because being blessed gives me the security to face the unknown of what may happen. See, I'm someone who hates to be rejected, but in doing evangelism, you know that's going to happen. You know that people are going to misunderstand you, misinterpret what you're trying to do. But God says, go ahead and do it. I remember the first time I shared the gospel. It was in an eighth grade study hall. The girl's name was Pixie Holbrook. Her parents, this will ring a bell for some of you, but her parents were what we used to call beatniks. They predated hippies. She was the first atheist slash agnostic because she wasn't really sure whether she was an atheist or agnostic. I had ever met before that people were either Jewish, Catholic or Protestant. That was the world I thought I lived in. And all of a sudden here's this girl who wore ponchos and did you know she just stood out. Wonderful young girl who was willing to have a conversation about Christianity. And so in study hall we would talk and I would try to figure out because I all I knew was sharing Bible verses. So I would share Bible verses. I wasn't wise enough to figure out, okay, how do I question what she, you know, she's bringing? I, I was just kind of pushing a message rather than listening to her. But you see, we need to be willing to go to all the families on the earth. Because that's what's here in Genesis 12 in terms of if you're blessed, this is what's going to happen as well as what happens in Matthew 28 when you go out to all the nations. The blessing of Christianity from the very beginning is global. We have to remember that. We have to remember God's blessing and his commission and his promises to us. It says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Why is he making a great name? Why is he blessing him? So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Now, we are having a discussion in the United States, and then when I came over to Scotland and I read some things, it's like, okay, what if you identify yourself not as an extrovert like me, but as an introvert like my wife, where you like, you know, you don't want to go out and you know, you like people, but you're gonna wait for somebody else to start the conversation, maybe. But how do we figure out how to use what God has given us? See, if your shyness to share the gospel, if you recognize that, you may recognize people who are shy to have a conversation who are uneasy with new people. And if you can say, yeah, I I get it that we don't know each other and that you may be uncomfortable. You can share your own identity and recognize that, that that other person may have that identity. One of the things that as I listened to our guide, who is, was born and raised on Shetland, went away, found a wife, and brought her back, and he talks about the adjustment outsiders have. Because if you think everybody knows everybody here, that's on steroids in the Shetland Islands. Because the families have been there forever and ever, and they know each other. And so when a new person comes in, they're at a great disadvantage. Now, who's cousin to who? You know, you think about all the family relationships and getting to know people. And so part of it is just asking God to give you the courage and the wisdom in approaching people who are strangers for the gospel or people that you have known. Now, we know that some of the hardest people in the world to witness to are family members you have known all your life. And they have in the past said, no, I don't want to go to church with you. I don't want to read the Bible. How do you love them into the kingdom? How do you stay in touch over the crises, over the the events in their lives that may be places where you have an opportunity? Some of you are watching children grow up and you say, where's the opportunity going to come? Sometimes my child seems like a stranger. How do we reach those folks? How do we love them? My next to last mini point In this idea of in you all families on earth shall be blessed. In an age of increasing isolation and individualism, Christians always need to be willing to look at the globe. Because that's what God is looking at. We need to pray that God will give us a vision for the world as well as for our neighborhood. See, I can't be so concerned about the the churches in China if I ignore my neighbor who is right next to me. See, I've got to do both. I have to be willing to be open to be a blessing to that neighbor who is next door to me, as well as praying for those people that are far away who may show up on their doorstep. I've told you the story about when the Soviet Union invaded Hungary, two Hungarian refugees ended up in our basement. Because there was a Hungarian woman in the church who organized, you know, back in the 50s, you know, we just think, people just did things. You know, think, okay, my church is going to do this, and went to the session, and the session said, yes, we're going to do this. And all of a sudden, no training, nothing, no language training, but we figured out how to do it. The world came into my basement. Because my parents opened their home, and I think that had a profound effect on me about the effect of Christianity on family life. You had to be willing to disrupt it for the sake of the gospel. Now, my last point, and this is something I want to mention and get you thinking about as a church. I believe that both mercy ministries and mission ministries are rooted in this passage. That as God begins to explain and explore his mission for his people, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that idea of mercy because we are being blessed, that idea of missions because we need to reach out and be a blessing to others. Think about that. In your prayer life, will you pray that God will give you an opportunity to bless somebody this week that you don't know? Or to bless somebody that you do know? God, I want to be a blessing. I want to be a part of your promises in Genesis 12. I want to be a blessing to someone this week. Whether it's sitting down in, I'm just going to say the doctor's office, the surgery center, you know, when you sit in the waiting room, you meet strangers. I mean, people in, 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 I mean, it happened to me, when you're sitting there and you're a stranger in a, in a surgery waiting room down there in downtown, people will talk to you. Oh, what do you, you know, they'll talk about their, why they're there to see the doctor and sometimes you get more information than you want. But I try to figure out, is there a way that I can get, we can have a conversation someplace else? You're at the co-op, You're in the hardware store. Ask God to help you to be a blessing to somebody this week. Now, I want to close by saying I know that the issues that are raised here, family, relationships with strangers, identity, security, are all big life issues. And I've chosen what I have said because I think it fits us here in this room. But I want to open up the opportunity for you to call me and say, Hey, Fred, let's have a cup of coffee. Let's do something. Go for a walk. And talk about what you said and some of the other things about how they affect my life. How they affect the way I see the world. Because I see the world becoming more and more fearful... That's next Sunday where he starts off, said a go, fear not. That's part of the gospel, fear not. But as we think about a world that is becoming more fearful, more isolated, and God calls us to be a blessing. I'm blessing you so you can bless somebody else. Our children will see us blessing people and so they'll say, that's part of Christianity. That's part of raising your hand and following Jesus Christ is I want to bless somebody. See, oftentimes when we think of being blessed, we think of the, well, both in England and around the world, they call the prosperity God. I get more stuff. No, it's not about getting more stuff and being blessed. And I've emphasized that in the sermons on the benedictions. It's about getting God and being a blessing for God in other people's lives. So, one of the things that we're going to pray about this Wednesday night is how can our congregation, how can our group of people be a blessing in this community? How do we bless our neighbors? I'm not going to have a five-point plan, but I am going to have a time of prayer. Say, God, open us up. Because this is from the beginning. God's blessed people are blessed to bless others. Let us pray. Father, in these short verses, you have given us so much about your promises to bless us, about your desire for us to be a blessing, and your desire to make that blessing go to all the families on earth. Open our eyes, open our hearts. Guide us so that we can be the blessing you want us to be. We pray these things, Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen.